welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I'm so happy to be back live with you guys tonight. Uh, we have had to take a couple of weeks off just with our scheduling conflicts and me being back on the road again. And so there have just been some busy, busy weeks. So we are back and I am so excited to have my good friend Mike join us and here. We're also excited to have the author of the current book that we are discussing. She will be joining us as well. And there she is. So let me get her. Hello, hello. Hey. How's it going? It's so good to see you. You know, long time no see. I... It really I... has. This, really, it... this is like a, this is oh. a blast from the past already. And there's Linda. Hello. I don't, Hi, Linda. I don't even know. Hi. I feel like it has been eons i know it's only mm -hmm. been two weeks but um it has been a long time since we have seen each other so i am happy to see your faces and i am so happy to get back to our current book which is the co-regulation handbook mm -hmm. by the amazing the one and only <laughs> linda k murphy mscc slp so anyways how have you guys been since i've seen you last Think, things have definitely things have been good things have been very very busy uh, I, I was just uh, up in New York with some old friends this weekend, so I was finally able to do to get away from work for a little while. Uh, so that was really nice. Just came back today. Uh, came back to uh, having to, to no internet, having to get a new router, which I was telling, <laughs> you, guys, telling you guys about. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wait a second. It's the first Monday. I literally yeah. went to Target, got a new router, took care of business. Got it. Got it. Way to go, Target. Can we just get a big round of applause for Target? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, Linda, how Target. have you been? Have you been good? Yeah, all good over here. Just busy, but now we're into February vacation, so this week will be a little bit yeah. lower key, oh, which is good. nice. That's yeah, good. and Mike, I saw your little girl had her first birthday. Yes, so he did on the 12th. That was awesome. Did, yeah. yeah. She, she you and your daughter? An entire, an, an entire cupcake. Oh, good for her. You and your daughter, your birthdays are what? Just a couple days apart, aren't they? Yeah, I'm the ninth and she's the twelfth. Oh, what a nice birthday present, huh? So that was the best present of all time, having having that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but, I but can't now even it's all, imagine. Now it's all about her. Now that's it is all about, about it's and all about her. And. You know, I have many goals in life, but one of my main goals is to meet Eden before she graduates high school. That is one oh, of my yes. main goals. <laughs> and when she sees you, she's going to ride that bike you got for her right directly oh, towards you. I had to get her a bike for her first <laughs> birthday. It, no pedals, just one of those little ride-on tools. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just, mm, I just, she, yeah. loves, she loves it. She loves well, it. Well, good. So, I'm yeah. so glad. I'm so glad. So, yeah, my exciting thing for today was I was working. I'm actually in town this week, which I, you know, I feel like saying, you know, how are you? I'm so busy. Like it's become the new, I'm good. How are you? I, don't you feel like yeah. we're just overly busy anymore? I don't know that I love this this world of being constantly so busy, but I don't know what to do about it right now. I just keep telling myself I'm in the prime of my career, so I just need to go with it. But anyways, I'm in town this week, and um, it's the only week for like the next 12 weeks that I'm even in town. Uh, but as I was working hard today to get caught up on emails and, you know, I have handouts to write and things like that, all of a sudden, poof, I blew a fuse and everything crashed. I mean, all three of my screens... I was like, are you kidding me? And of course my husband was not here to uh, the tech guy to, to help me. So it was a nightmare, but I'm back. I got a, got the, the little, you know, switch flipped and we're all good. So, so you're going to be on the road for 12 weeks. 
Oh Lord, Mike, I don't even know. Well, how, I don't, I don't even know. So I leave set, I do a webinar Saturday morning for a group in Canada. And then I have to drive to Wisconsin and I speak oh Monday in Wisconsin. God. I drive home and then I have a webinar Tuesday. And then I, I can't remember. I have something else next week. And then, Oh, I go to Des Moines for a webinar on Saturday. And then I come home Saturday night and Sunday I drive to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I spend an entire week with a school district in Cheyenne. That's all I know right now. But yeah, it's um, now that COVID you, is. You need a private jet. You have no, I need a helicopter. Let's get, it. Let's get the chapter I don't know. private What jet. I would prefer over that, because I love driving just because it's my like downtime. I get to listen to podcasts, like my true yeah. crime, you know, so uh -huh. I really don't mind driving. But I just wish I had like a personal assistant to like answer the 4 billion emails I get in a day. And, you know, I just. It's a pain. So I'm going to stop complaining. Let's talk about this amazing book let's Mike, do you have the first together. book how about how about all three of us let's co-regulate together right now can we just co-regulate linda <laughs> like right now like i need... so what i'm using to try to self-regulate right now is wine because it has been that's like um, hey that works just a, just a yeah just a crazy time cup of tea but mike do you oh good for you see you're better than me mike do you have the first book do you have linda's first oh you're just drinking boring water I, do. Good grief. I, do. I don't know mine is in my bag somewhere because i take it everywhere i go now so the first book that we read by the amazing uh, uh linda was the declarative language handbook and now we are reading her second book linda when did this book come out when did you publish uh the co-regulation handbook march 2021 so just about oh, a so year it's only ago. a year old it's almost mm -hmm. its birthday it's almost its birthday yeah, yeah. well mm -hmm. we're gonna have a birthday party they actually were yeah party. almost the same date 2020 and 2021 march and march they both so. you released them a year apart amazing yeah. amazing mm -hmm. oh, nice. so wow. yeah. we are currently again we missed a couple weeks because just scheduling nightmare um and before i forget to tell you next monday there's no way i can do it because i will be driving home from wisconsin which is like a nine hour drive so we're gonna have to find a different night next week so we will figure that out but this week we are discussing am i right guys chapters three and four that's what yes. i think we're discussing yes we is are that right mm -hmm. okay yep. and four. okay and i just have to tell you guys that Per usual, I have taken copious notes in the book, but I have so many examples about my son and about a kiddo Yay. that I have been consulting with in the state of Nebraska and in the school district. He's a 12-year-old, and I just have the most amazing like example to share with you. So I can't wait to get into mm -hmm. this. So Linda, start us off. What do you want to tell us about Chapter 3? It's called um, Managing Ourselves, How Are Self-Regulation and Co-Regulation Related? What's your main tip or main point yeah. that you'd like to share with us? So I think um, like when I see a lot of posts these days about co-regulation, I feel like this is the main theme. It's the, the OT um, expertise of co-regulation that that we can um, support kids to regulate through who we are at that moment in time. Um, so this is where I just tried to, in my speech therapist, therapist way, like explain this concept through the lens that I'm looking at it through, social communication. Um, and I think the main points are, I think uh, grown-ups probably naturally do this well when kids are young and we expect them to not be able to manage their emotions well. But so then like when they're kids, infants and toddlers, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a baby cries, the caregiver comforts it or figures out what it needs in that moment in time to support um, the infant to feel better, to regulate. Sure, But sure. then 
as kids grow, you know, they continue to need caregivers. So it might be a youngster who's four, who's really excited about their birthday party. And that parent in that moment understands it's the excitement bubbling over and they support the child to wait, to regulate, to manage those emotions. Um, but then at some point in time, as kids get older, people, I feel like, you know, people stop viewing it through the lens of regulation and start viewing it through the lens of behavior. But yes. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. That was the most powerful thing that I took from this chapter is it seems like up until a certain age, we, we understand and expect that very young children can't have it all together. You know, they can't hold mm -hmm. it all together. They don't know how to self-regulate. They need pacifiers and they need you to rock them and they need you to sing to them. And they need, like Mike, you have a, a one-year-old now at home. She needs you to help soothe sure her, does. right? To help oh, comfort yeah. her. Um, and so I think, every, again, every that's really- Every night at 3 a.m. Every night at 3 a.m., exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. But I think you're spot on, Linda, when you say that as kids get older, so once they get into maybe pre-K, maybe elementary mm -hmm. school or even older, all of a sudden we shift gears and we stop talking about co-regulation and now we start talking about behaviors. Now he's mm -hmm. being manipulative. Now he's being naughty. Now he's not following the rules. And I think we kind of throw co-regulation out the window and we just all of a sudden stopped talking about it. So that was, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was absolutely the most powerful thing that I got um, from this chapter. Yeah. yeah. And just and, and, to know, in, in the, in the, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Linda. Um, well, and just to know, we can always go back to those tools, those tools, excuse me, of being with a child present in the moment to figure out, respond contingently mm -hmm. to figure out what they need. Um, Absolutely. To support regulation yeah. versus deliver a consequence, set up a reward system, punitive, like all these right? external, being, external. Mm -hmm. Yeah, punitive. Yeah. Instead of making it, well, I'm going to withhold this desired thing then because you're not behaving appropriately in mm -hmm. the moment, which is just going to lead to more dysregulation, is it not? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Mike? Totally. Yeah. And we talk about these kids with social learning challenges, social learning differences, right? And their inability to self-regulate. So we're talking about, you know, self-regulation deficit disorder, like the executive functioning developmental delay. And it gets to a certain point where, you know, they're no longer babies and we expect them to have some coping skills, some resiliency, right. being able to, uh, to, to be able to regulate in the face of stress. Uh, and it's not so much, you know, getting rid of that viewpoint, you know, it's really more kind of just changing the lens of, uh, and you give that great story in this chapter about the young boy who was preparing for the alarms to go off. Mm -hmm. And he started asking lots of questions, mm -hmm. but you saw that he was doing that to regulate. And mm -hmm. the staff were so used to it, they were ignoring the questions, they weren't giving it attention, they were viewing it as negative attention seeking and not responding because it wasn't appropriate at the time, but he was doing mm -hmm. that due to the buildup of the alarms. And it's right. really fascinating how many kids really get really anxious about alarms and these drills and, the, and, and all these different things that school is doing. So sort of, you know, obviously we, we need to be aware of the age, the executive age, where they're at in their ability to regulate, but instead of viewing it as just basic behaviors that need to have a specific response to the behavior, we can kind of change that lens and how can we yeah. regulate with them mm -hmm. to get to help them get through it together. 
Yeah, that whole perseverative mm -hmm. questioning, mm -hmm. and that's often how it's documented. You know, we always say we want to document observable behaviors. Like saying he had a rough day is not helpful to anybody. You know, I used to get that mm -hmm. from my son a lot. My son is autistic, and when they would send home notes, say, Aaron had a really rough day at school today. That is not helpful to me at all. I don't even understand yeah. what that means. Mm -hmm. So when I asked for more specific feedback, and they'd say, say things like, he, he perseverated on asking the same question over and over. And so mm -hmm. perseverated indicates that it's negative, that it's a you know, something that we are trying to extinguish his use of, of repetitive questioning. Well, it's so important. And that's why, I mean, you're just, your brilliance. I mean, Linda, in, in, in <laughs> a, your ability to explain that that is actual anxiety, yeah. that repeating mm -hmm. the same question over and over and you answer it and you answer it and you answer mm -hmm. it and you answer it. It doesn't solve, it doesn't take the anxiety away because they still don't know what to expect. They can't predict yeah. what is going to happen in the moment. And so that anxiety comes out as repetitive questioning, which is, annoying to neurotypicals right to those of us who mm -hmm. don't have social learning challenges so but one thing I wanted to add and I took it I wrote this down just because I didn't want to forget as most of you know I'm an early intervention specialist and as I was reading this chapter the one term that I typically use and I instead of co-regulation I guess the term that I've been using and have written made many handouts on is what it means to be a responsive caregiver. And that is something mm -hmm. that I have talked a lot about. So what does what a responsive caregiver do? Well, they need to be present in the moment, right? And so I have these four qualities, if you will, that, that create um, a, a responsive caregiver. And I just love that now I kind of have this overarching term to apply to that, which is co-regulation, being present mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. Something that, you know, I, I don't know, even know who originally said this. It certainly wasn't me, but that presence, mm -hmm. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, is more important than presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. -E you know, the mm -hmm. idea that we don't need to give our children tangible things. The most important thing you can give a child is your presence. And today, Mike and I, man, we talk about this. Oh, I can't even hold up my phone because I'm talking to it. But <laughs> the... Um, the, the issue with being digitally dis, digitally distracted in the moment, right? Having our phone and not oh, yeah. being truly present in the moment. Mm -hmm. So when a, yeah. a young child comes up and is like, mama, mama, look, you know, and you're like, yes, that's nice. Go play because we're so focused on, you know, our screen. And so I do a lot of coaching caregivers on how to be truly present in the moment. And now I will be able to kind of add in that word of this helps your child co-regulate in the moment. So mm -hmm. I just love it. Yeah, and, and I just and, saw. And, yeah. Oh, so yeah, somebody no, no, just ahead, <laughs> somebody asked a question, just what to do about um, when a child asks a question over and over again. So even I'll expand a little bit, even thinking yes. about the the child in the book. So essentially, I you know just in the moment, step back and try and understand what what that um, what the purpose is for that child in that moment, mm -hmm. what the meaning mm -hmm. is. So for the particular child that I was working with, I mean, he asked questions and at times they serve different purposes. The example in the book is he was feeling anxious and me, us being able to answer questions that he already knows the answers to regulate him. So until that anxiety um, subsides a little bit, he's gonna need that comfort and that safety of that, um, just, just that reassurance of, the answer that he knows to be true or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually I find what happens if when you answer their questions versus not, the, the anxiety does go down and then you can guide the conversation someplace. Or you also are able to use to pull in declarative language and say, you know, I'm thinking you might be feeling a little nervous right now. Right. I'm happy to answer your questions because I know that helps you feel better. 
but I also want to figure out how I can just how we can problem solve in this moment to make help you feel less nervous overall or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Can I just and I know Mike yeah. has something to say, but I just want to mm -hmm. add. See, Mike, I'm taking over. Um, can yeah. I just add that one of the strategies that I use because this little boy that I've been consulting with in a school district in Nebraska, he does the same thing. He will repeat. He doesn't ask questions necessarily, but he repeats the same thing over and over. So what I started doing, a strategy I implemented was actually saying the phrase for him and leaving out the last word. So he filled it in. So it was more like instead of, you know, him being concerned, it was like, so maybe he was asking or he was saying, um, I need, I need to go to grandma's this weekend. I need to go to grandma's this weekend. I need to go to grandma's this weekend. And I would say this weekend you get to go to, he would say grandma's. And so by me like initiating it instead of him having to pose it and, you know, say it or ask it over and over, I instead took the role of I'm going to say this, this phrase, and then he gets to fill in the blank. And he and I then had this connection of co-regulation where I know you're already anxious about this, or I know, you know, whether it's um, at three o'clock, I have to you know, go to speech or whatever it is, whatever they're, they're commenting on. I find that kind of fill in the blank where I allow them to just be participating, but now I'm taking a role too. And for this one little guy, it just seemed to help tremendously. So those closed procedures, as we call mm -hmm. them in the speech therapy world or fill in the blank, um, can be a strategy. So whoever asked that, whether it was a parent or an SLP, just know that that, that is a strategy to consider. Yeah. And if there's one word that Linda uses over and over and over again between declarative language and uh, co-regulation, it's guide. It's all about guiding, mm -hmm. guiding your child, uh, you know, whether they're stuck or whether they're dysregulated or they're having social learning differences, whatever it may be, guiding them into the next step, guiding them into regulation, guiding them into what's to come next. Yep. Because we talk a lot about social learning differences but a lot of these kids do also have this executive functioning delay, which tends to be the issues with time management and that time blindness, right? So, mm -hmm. so much of so much of the reason why declarative language is needed, so much of the reason why co-regulation is needed is because these kids are not able to forecast into the future and sort of see what's happening. Mm -hmm. They're really stuck in the present moment. And when you don't know what's to come and you can't call on your past experiences, to help prepare you for what's to come, it's really anxiety producing. And this is why mm -hmm. we have that fight, flight, freeze response we talk about. So we as adults guiding them. And last mm -hmm. week we had the amazing quote, or last time, uh, it was partnership over prompting. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you focus on partnership over prompting, you know, prompting leads to prompt dependence. Right. Partnerships leads to co-regulation. Mm -hmm. I love it, I love it. And the one thing I just wrote down is, whatever you were saying just there, Mike, I, I jotted this down because this has been my son from day one is he doesn't do new. When yeah. you can't predict into the future, when you can't prediction, right? The ability yep. to look at your episode, you know, focus on your episodic memory. So what happened last time in a similar situation? How, you know, what exactly. happened? How mm -hmm. did my mom respond? How did I respond? My son who is autistic really struggles with looking into the future because he has yep. executive dysfunction. And so I have always from about the age of three on he's now 17 I've always described my son as he doesn't do new and so the surest way to 
um, I, I make sure that my son has an, an anxious moment, goes into a moment of dysregulation, is to out of the blue slap some new demand on him that he didn't know was coming. So preparation, verbal preparation, visual preparation has always been so important and that has reduced my son's anxiety to the mm -hmm. point where I feel like we can help him stay regulated in the moment instead of just out of the blue saying, hey buddy, we're gonna go to the zoo. Like that was the last yeah. major meltdown my son had. My son loves the zoo more than life itself. Anyone who follows <laughs> me knows how much my son loves wild animals. And one day out of the blue, I just went into his room in the morning on a Saturday and said, hey buddy, we're gonna go to the zoo. And he looked at me with like his eyes got huge and he just literally melted down and we did not go to the zoo. I mean, this meltdown lasted for like an hour and a half. It was un, and I could not figure it out. And I realized it was because it was Saturday. He didn't have school that day. And in his mind, he was going to have a down day, right? He was going to have a day with no expectations really required. Mm -hmm. And when out of the blue, I threw this on him, not do you want to, it was, we are going to the zoo and he lost it. And that was a huge learning moment for me as his mom to realize, wow, I mean, you know, that was just too much. So that's why we use so many calendars and, you know, things to just help him kind of um, know what is in what, you know, what, what the future holds, if you will. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about front I wanted, um, you're, you're front loading him with information. You're preparing him to get yep. ready. For I like that zoo. term, Mike, front loading. And, and, I've never used that exactly term. I love it. it. You're, you're giving tons of information to prepare him for what's to come because he doesn't really have that mental flexibility right. to see himself in that different time and nope. space and see nope. him moving around the zoo and use his love for animals to self-motivate himself to go. He and needs the, the extra. And the other thing is you always talk, Mike, about visual images, you know, visual yeah. imagery. So like that's mm -hmm. the advantage of living in the digital age. My phone has pictures of every zoo trip we've ever taken. So me being able to pull up, like he mm. loves red pandas. They're his favorite animal at the Kansas City nice. Zoo. So if I pull up a picture of the red pandas and say, I thought we might go to the zoo today and show him that picture. It is amazing what that visual, right? Not the words, yeah. not the spoken yeah. words, but the visual of him standing in front of the red pandas. And all of a sudden he's like, yes, I want to go there. And so again, it's Triggers been a huge it. yep. learning curve, which is why I spend so much time on social media sharing what I've learned, what my son has taught me over the years, because I didn't have anybody giving me these strategies, right? Helping mm -hmm. me along the way. And so instead we had years and years of intense meltdowns um where I, my husband and i were just like we didn't even know you know what what they were stemming from or what their you know what purpose it was so i certainly had never heard of the word co-regulation but it's one of my new favorite words okay. yeah and, and and you doing all of you taking all of these steps and you front loading and you acting as his, his executive functioning to give him the visuals that's all co-regulation you're, you're giving him yep. the scaffolding and the steps that he needs to co-regulate. So just like it, just like in the past when you were using declarative language before you yep. knew what it was, um, there, there you go. You're co-regulating because you you know your son better than anybody else. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I was going to tell one more quick story just about yes. the Teddy who I write about in the book. Um, so one purpose of his questions was uh, just to help himself feel feel less anxious. But another mm -hmm. thing. Um, and I think part of co-regulation too is, is again, it's just like going back, being in the moment, being present, letting go of any specific agenda we have so mm. that our interaction can naturally unfold, That's so good. Uh -huh. you know, and we don't necessarily know where it's going to end up. Um, 
but so another thing that he he always would do and it was just beautiful so when you can start to view it in this way is he would um he would always ask me questions like when we would see each other he would always start by asking questions that he knew the answer to but it was about my kids like what are their birthdays mm. what was the day of the week that they were born on oh. and he would always start in this way and i would always answer um because i knew it was regulating to him but then what he would do is he would then branch off from there kind of based on his special interest um and I think, you know, because I was able to just be present in the moment, allow those questions to unfold and we could see where it would go. So, for example, he went through this period of time when he was very interested in the weather. So after we did kind of the, the ground level of, you know, when were your kids born? What was the date? What was the day of the week? He started to ask, well, what was the weather like on the day that Desmond was born or <laughs> Freddie was born? Uh -huh. um, and I was like, wow, you know, let me think for a minute. And I was like, it was actually really rainy, you know, when Desmond was born, uh -huh. but it was sunny when Freddie was born. And he's still to this day, I think he's 16 now. Um, he still totally remembers that. And I just like, I feel like our relationship is deeper because he knows those things about me. But if I squashed his question, if I squashed his questions and couldn't just uh -huh. be present with him in that moment, we wouldn't have gotten to that deeper place. And, and it's, and he cares about my family, you know, it's just, and that's so deepens amazing. our relationship. Yeah. So, so Linda, you said letting go of our own agenda. And I think mm -hmm. that as therapists, and I think that there are educators who, you know, watch and listen to this as well. I think that that is such an important piece is being truly present in the moment and meeting the child mm -hmm. where they are at or meeting the student where they are at. And so uh, what, when you said letting go of our own agenda, I then wrote in my book, um, follow their lead. Like what do they need mm -hmm. in this moment? Not like what does our lesson plan say? What are our speech therapy goals? What are we supposed to be working on? When we talk about functional or when we talk about communication skills, if it's truly functional communication, it will always be social communication. Because mm -hmm. if there aren't two people communicating, then you're just labeling cards or you're just labeling, you know, letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. Mm -hmm. There's nothing mm -hmm. social about that. So to me, as speech language pathologists, when we talk about social learning challenges, you know, when we talk about functional communication skills, we are always talking about reciprocity, which is a word that you mm -hmm. actually bring up in this, in this one of these two chapters about how important that is, that social reciprocity, that it's about give and take. And mm -hmm. if I have a conversation with an adult, I may think the conversation is going to go one way. Like, you know, we have our neighbors and I might go over and, and talk to our neighbors and I may have a question in mind. Hey, did you catch that mole that's been, you know, destroying our yard? We have a huge mole problem here in our neighborhood, but if their conversation may go to, Oh, John has to have a knee replacement. So I'm obviously going to shift my focus of conversation based on the moment. And I think if we can keep that in mind when mm -hmm. communicating with our children, that it is an ebb and flow. It is a give and take. It is reciprocity. It is meeting them in the moment instead of always assuming that we have to work on our lesson plan, that we have to, mm -hmm. you know, work on this specific activity. So I so appreciate you saying we need to let go of our agenda if we're really, truly going to focus on co-regulation. Mm -hmm. All right. And then I was thinking just other tidbits from that chapter, if I can um, yes, clear some ideas out there. So so part of it is being present in the moment, but then some kind of concrete strategies that we can use co-regulation when kids are feeling unsure um, is just in that moment in time, think about that competent role. So it will oh, ground them and help them feel yeah. safe. 
So an example that often comes to mind for me is when we want to um, invite child to uh, invite a child to join us in something new, like a new uh -huh. activity. And we know that that can be scary for kids. Novelty can be scary. They, they don't know, they might not know what's come, what it's going to look like, whether they're going to be competent. Um, so I always just really try and step back and think about, okay, what's a competent role that I can offer that I know they will be successful in and they'll know they'll be successful in. So they're more likely to join just, or just sure. get their toes wet. Like initially I'm, I'm like, you could, I just want them to get their toes a tiny bit wet uh -huh. so that they can experience that new thing. Um, so examples, you know, might, might even be you can be a watcher to start like sometimes sure. that's the role uh -huh, because uh -huh. a lot of our kids just need to observe something new yes. before they feel comfortable joining so i use that role or that name for a role a lot like oh you know you don't have to join it's totally okay you can be a watcher um and meanwhile you're teaching them that strategy about their own learning style that it, it's helpful to them if they can watch or observe first and it's visual referencing right mm -hmm. too like if you're right. a watcher you're taking in what's going on in the environment around you yeah um but then i think about like say new games it might be partnering with that child so so a game that i think about that's an easy example is Candyland. you know we always have you know there could be two or three gingerbread people on the board and you're moving across and then you also have to pick cards so a way that i might split that up is um you know you can be you can be the card chooser and that's uh -huh. it or uh -huh. you can be the color namer and that's it. Or you can be the gingerbread piece mover. And that's it. It really depends on whatever might be competent for that child. If they're if they love their colors, then they just get to I hold up the card and they name the color and then we move the the piece. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, or they're the card flipper. It really could be all different things, but it's just really breaking down the the process of the game into individual roles and figuring out which one feels safe and competent sure. for the child. Sure. I just want so to answer many, a question. In many, in many ways, mm -hmm. we're talking about uh, exposure therapy and really exposing these kids to new and varied experiences, but it's exposure therapy with relationships. So wow. that's the biggest thing is like, it, it's it, we're exposing kids to new things that are important to them and their growth, but we're giving them the safety net knowing that they're not in it alone. And we're right. acting as their- It's not about independence it, it, no, not at all. Not at all. Not it's yet. Getting yeah. out there, trying. But hey, even being a watcher, even being a game chooser, that's mm -hmm. a one step closer towards independence, towards sure. getting them open, you know, adding that mental flexibility. And it can be, especially when you're talking about younger kids, elementary age kids, you know, taking those little baby steps towards new things is perfectly fine. These kids are so right. young, we can't expect them. Like we said before with one of our early books, kids are not mini adults so when we right. let them take these mm -hmm. mini these mini steps towards new ideas new people new things being mentally flexible and we're able to do it because of the rapport and the relationship we have with them that's huge yeah yeah, yeah. something that i've said about my son for years and years and years is forward is forward no matter the speed so it doesn't matter how rapidly they gain these skills it's just about that we're taking when you said baby steps mike that's what that makes mm -hmm. me think of yeah. is it's just about moving forward it doesn't mean mm -hmm. huge you know growth in one week or whatever it's just about moving forward i just want to answer a question my good friend randy in mississippi um i have been consulting with her family and her little guy um for um probably close to a year now and she just asked what happened 
happens? What do you suggest we do if we give the child a competent role, like throw their diaper away, you know, after a diaper <laughs> change, but this little guy has some demand avoidance. He just, the minute you put any demand on him at all, you know, he kind of shuts down. So she asks, should we try again the next time? What I would probably do in that moment to make it a competent role um, is maybe go get the the garbage can you know a mini garbage can and say i'll get the garbage can and i'll put it literally right in front of him and you can throw it in and if he doesn't i would probably literally take the diaper and throw it in and go yay two points i did it and we'll just move on like i probably mm -hmm. wouldn't make a big deal because the more you put demands you know on the child the more they may resist if they have this true demand avoidance so i still think we can create um, attempt to create competent roles, but if going, picking it up and walking all the way over to the other side of the room to put it in the trash can is creating an issue, let's not create that issue. That's fine. I'll go get the garbage can and bring it to you. So just in, res uh, in response to that question, Randy, mm -hmm. that's probably what I would do in the moment just to try to, you know, let it end on him being successful and him mm -hmm. having a competent role. That's a great question. Yeah. That's yeah. really yeah. a great question. An an another thing you can do is also, you know, decrease the demand. Instead of saying, mm. take your diaper and throw it out, you know, make it simple, make it into a game or start, start with something very basic, like, oh, I forgot where the garbage can is. Like, you know, sometimes you kind of oh, uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. mm -hmm. pretend like you don't know. Can you show me where the garbage can is? And oh, even the kid go. just pointing, there it is. Go throw it out there. That's their That's role. That's something. Mm -hmm. That's a role. Yep. That's their right. role. It. Thanks for showing me. Now I can throw your diaper away. And you mm -hmm. inch closer and closer, centimeter by yep. centimeter towards them finally doing it on their own without you asking. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think when it comes to co-regulation, where you're going to run into problems is when there is this expectation of the child will do what I tell them to do in the moment because that leads to that behaviorism, right? Where we're focusing right. on, I want the child to be compliant. And I have done multiple posts recently on social media on my feelings on this topic. But if your goal is ultimately compliance, you need to rework your goals because there is mm -hmm. no way when children have social learning challenges that compliance should be the number one goal. That is not it. It is about building a trusting, meaningful, safe relationship, right? And that that really starts with, with um, having having uh, that uh, responsive caregiver who meets you where you are in the moment. Um, again, since I work with very young children, you know, uh, toddlers, primarily preschoolers, um, it's really about what does it mean to be responsive? And so that co-regulation um, uh, feeds into that. Can I give you one example? I wrote this here on page 21 of my son and how I give my son a competent role. So every night before bed, this has been a tradition for, I don't even know, five years. At, at Sunday school, every every um, quarter, all the kids get like um, devotions. It's like a book of devotions. And it's, you know, they're four kids, so they're short. But every night, what we do before bed is we just read the devotion. Now, Aaron, my 17-year-old son, he can read. He can read out loud. I mean, he can read paragraphs. But he, we have always done it where his dad or I have read aloud. And all he does is say the prayer with us at the end. So as I'm trying to... Um, uh, get him to have more of a participatory role, right? Him reading it, because the ultimate goal is that he can read his own devotion, you know, before bed, you know, instead of, because he's almost an adult. And so one way I've gotten him to start doing that is I'll say, I'll read the first paragraph 
and you can read the second. So then I'll read the first mm -hmm. paragraph of devotion. He reads the second. And then he looks at me and I go, should I read the third one? And he says, yes. And I'll mm -hmm. read the fourth. So now he's making the yep. rule or yep. the mm -hmm. expectation. So that's where that whole kind of turn taking, like, well, I can do it and then you can do it. So mm -hmm. that is still after years and years, a competent role for my son. But if you were to sit down and say, I want you to read this devotion, read it all out to me. He would flip out because he's never had to read the whole devotion. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. And it's hard for him. He does have to sound out words still, you know, and he doesn't know what a lot of these words mean. And so for him, it's not a competent role to read the entire devotion out loud, but it is a competent role for him to read one paragraph and I read the next and then him and then mm -hmm. me. So that was one. And thing. it also it makes amazing. it social it, it is, and enjoyable. Is, yeah. Yep, it is. It is absolutely, it, it's absolutely amazing when you switch from compliance to relationships. Yes. Uh, that's where that's where the reciprocity comes. When you it's when you focus when you're when you're focused on demand answer, demand answer, yep. and mm -hmm. you go back down to you know relationships and using your relationship to share in something and to do something together. Yep. that's where mm -hmm. reciprocity it's powerful. comes. And when, yeah, when you build reciprocity yep. with your own children, they're going to start doing it with peers. And once once they yeah. learn to have reciprocity with peers, then we start to see meaningful relationships, which is which is every parent's goal for their kids to have peer positive peer relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Linda, on page um, twenty one, you mm -hmm. said, and then I'll let you you fill you yep. go on. But it says um, these opportunities create positive partnerships instead of power struggles. Mm -hmm. And you guys, if you're going to take anything mm -hmm. from this episode tonight, mm. this is the one thing I want you to yep. take is let's focus on positive partnerships with our children mm -hmm. instead of power struggles instead of the and i know i talk about this every week instead of an asymmetrical interaction where i'm the adult and i'm telling you what to do and i'm demanding compliance instead of this let's move to symmetrical interactions where we are co-regulating where there's this give and take this ebb and flow and we are focusing on what was your word on partnerships positive mm -hmm. partnerships instead of power struggles mm. yeah yeah, Beautiful. so I was going to, I was just thinking back to the diaper example. Um, uh huh. Like, and yeah, I would do the same thing. I think, like, what you want to keep in mind, regardless of the situation, is whatever your child's feedback in the moment is, that's what you're responding to in a supportive yes. way. In the moment. So you're, yeah, so you are the one making the adjustment in the moment to support success, regardless of what that looks like. So if the child is not going to, um, you know, put the diaper in the, in the trash barrel, then you tweak the role as you go. So maybe you are the barrel getter, like you said, and you bring it closer. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the child becomes the hander and they give it to you and you toss it and in. You throw it away. Yes. Yeah. Or like Mike said, they become the finder. But the important piece is that we are extremely flexible in that moment to tweak the role so that the child maintains competence. And that's yes. what keeps them coming back for more. That's what builds the positive memory for all of us around um, that routine, that moment, that opportunity. And it, it's what keeps it from becoming a power struggle. Right, because what, what yeah. so happens in the compliance model, right, is that we expect the child to change. This child is right. non-compliant. This child refuses to follow directions. And so what we then expect is we expect the child to be more compliant. We expect the child, you know, to follow directions better. But when we really look at co-regulation, the onus of responsibility falls on us, mm -hmm. on the adults who are 
who are fully regulated, who have intact frontal lobes, who have fully developed nervous mm -hmm. systems. So the yeah. onus of responsibility for change falls on us. Instead of expecting mm -hmm. this dysregulated child with, you know, uh, social learning challenges, who has not had a lot of success, you know, in this current setting, whether it's the school setting or the therapy setting or whatever it is, instead of expecting them to just all of a sudden change and just mm -hmm. do it the way we expect, we change and we say the onus of responsibility is on us. And yeah. that that's huge to be mm -hmm. able to do that. Yeah. And then what you end up with essentially is just positive forward momentum. Like that's what it's all about. You momentum. know, we're just like, yes. we're just, oh yeah, momentum. You, that's your word for the year. Yeah. So we're just moving together in a positive way. And that yes will build more positive forward momentum. So, yeah. yeah. Somebody asked, and I just want to touch on this before that, that question gets away, is what do you do in the school district setting when administration is basically hell-bent on compliance, on, you know, following the rules? And this is why mm. I have started doing so much <laughs> consulting in the school district, because um, uh, special education needs um, a kick in the butt. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, you know, I think that one of our issues is that we are expecting these children who already have identified disabilities, identified, uh, you know, learning yep. challenges as being the ones who are responsible for changing in the moment. It is absurd at what mm -hmm. we are asking of these students. So my big push and the, the school districts that I'm currently working with is actually shifting that mindset mindset and saying, oh, no, 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 no. The responsibility is on modifications and accommodations. It is on creating a, Correct. Linda, in your terms, a safe learning environment mm -hmm. where the child can, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, focus and attend and we can use co-regulation to get them in a ready state for learning. So I have a huge issue with any, any um, entity, whether it's a school district, whether it's a therapist who is focused primarily on compliance. And mm -hmm. I will fight that tooth and nail um, because all yep. we're going to end up with is as a child who has um, uh, problem behaviors. You know, they're the naughty mm -hmm. kid in class. And from the time my son was three years old, he was dubbed the naughty kid in class because he was so dysregulated and nobody even contemplated co-regulation. It never occurred to them, you know, to actually meet him where he was at and help him mm -hmm. co-regulate. Instead, they deemed him the naughty kid who was non-compliant. So um, I have been there and I will tell you, there is nothing worse in this world than being the parent of the naughty kid in class so I am over it and it is time that we start making changes in our school settings that recognizes that co-regulation is the answer uh, so mm -hmm. um, this is something that I highly recommend to anybody <laughs> so who for, wants to so understand. For, so for that question when we talk about the supervisor who's so obsessed with compliance my question is okay so I'm assuming compliance means sit in your desk yes listen to the teacher take notes yep. uh, quiet and, hands and, and, eyes and, yeah, on me and quiet, quiet hands listening don't ears don't talk to people when you're not supposed to right okay so my response to that is you want the kids to be compliant let's let's be compliant with them and where their brains are how about that mm -hmm. let's stop let's stop talking about the kids being compliant how about the school be starts to be compliant with where these kids are at developmentally meeting them i don't where care i don't at. care if it's elementary middle or high these kids are not meant to sit in these rock hard desks all day listening to lectures. Mm -hmm. These kids yeah. need to be up, they need to be moving. We need project-based learning. They need yeah. to get up, they need to, it, there needs to be, there's a reason why there is so much dysregulation and lack of compliance in schools because relationships 
are nowhere to be found in school. Mm -hmm. Play yeah. is nowhere to be found in school. Uh, free time, downtime, interaction yeah. time, everything is structured, structured, structured. And there is an absolute correlation between dysregulation, lack of compliance, and lack of relationships. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is go back and listen to our first three books, or is it two books? My first three books, I think, that we did in this <laughs> chapter chat uh, <laughs> online book club, where we talked about over and over how the lecture listen model of education doesn't work because and children are yep. not meant to sit still. And all you have to do is listen to occupational therapists who will explain that the ability mm -hmm. sit, to sit still is the highest form of movement. Okay. What children need to be regulated is they need play-based movement. They need learning to be relevant and meaningful to their life. And our education system that is hyper-focused on what Mike calls the lecture-listen model, this is even because of great inflation, then pushed down into preschool, where we are expecting mm -hmm. three and four-year-olds to sit at a desk, at a table and a chair, and do worksheets and listen to teachers talk. I cannot sit back and, and let this happen nope. and then blame the kids for not being compliant, for them not being ready for school. Our education system is beyond broken and it's even more yep. broken for special education. That accessible um, education environment is just not accessible for di neurodivergent learners, whether it's autism, ADHD, dyslexia. I'm just telling you that lecture listen model will never be effective for our neurodivergent learners. So, so special education and especially early childhood. And last week, NPR mm -hmm. had an incredible article. I just saw another yes. one posted today. So early, we, we talked about this with our first couple of books. The, there's a heavy emphasis now on compliance in early childhood, which is absolutely ridiculous. So yep. there's a lot of focus on compliance and academics with baby Einstein and Kumon and the cognitive hypothesis, all of that. <laughs> yep. and, we, and, and we now know that long-term, that is harmful to the child. Yes. We now know yep. that that increases dysregulation, increases anxiety, increases a long list of e even sleeping and eating disorders. So we, yep. now, we, now, we now know that this heavy focus on compliance and lack of focus of social communication social learning relationships you're not you're not going to walk through the halls of a school and see a lot of co-regulation practices or right. hear a lot of declarative right. language mm -hmm. and there's a yep. reason for that yep absolutely absolutely and i always try and think like so you know these ideas are so important to us but how do we make it happen like what are action mm -hmm. steps that we can take in the here and now and parents you know you do have a say on your child's iep there's accommodations that you can put in there or goals that you can put in there that could be phrased in in um relationship based language rather than behavioral mm -hmm. so just know that you have a say and maybe sometimes that's where it needs to start of course like at that ground level sure sure this level sure. and professionals if you, too if, if, if any mm -hmm. any of the therapists that join these chapter chats think of a student you've worked with or if you're a parent whatever think of a student that just is just known for having behaviors 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 and i, I can think of all of the behavioral students i've ever worked with Every single one of them has always had one or two teachers, one or two therapists that they just had a deep rapport with, a deep relationship with. Mm -hmm. And everyone's always like, oh, how, are you, how do you get him to engage? How do you get him to focus? How are you doing that with him? Like a, some, a lot of times it's the therapists that are able to see them one-on-one -on -one outside of the classroom setting. Sure. But you can, think, you can think of the most behavioral kid of all time. 
every single one of them has a relationship with someone where there is co-regulation and there is yep. success and there is productivity. And that is the answer is co-regulation. This little boy in Nebraska mm -hmm. who has had a very rough time. I mean, his behavior is hitting, scratching, you know, fecal smearing. I mean, everything you can think of. And I went and spent a week with him and I removed all demands. I met him where he was at. And I remember it was the third day I was there with him and we were walking down the hall to go to PE and he turned and looked at me and he said, I love you, Carrie. And it was just so meaningful because I know he loves me and I love him because we have a connection because I have mm -hmm. not been forcing this compliance of, of things on him. I've been trying to figure him out and meet him where he's at and that co-regulation, what I figured out is he loves music. And so literally as we're walking down the hall, if I start to see him dysregulate, which he shows with his body, he starts hitting doors and if becomes very obvious and I just start singing and I have a horrible singing voice but I'll say is we're gonna go straight we're gonna go straight or we're gonna turn left mm -hmm. we're gonna turn left because we're just walking down the hall and all of a sudden he forgets that he's like hitting the wall and he'll just stop and he smiles yeah. at me and he would literally put his arm through mine and we look like we're walking down the yellow brick road we're like because I'm singing and and he's regulated and I'm meeting him where he's at and you guys, it's just, it's the most meaningful, powerful thing to be a part of to see that co-regulation does work. But if you have an agenda of, I'm going to make him follow one-step directions, or I'm going to, you know, my goal is to get him to comply with whatever, you, you've just ruined it in that moment. So mm -hmm. I, I, it's so hard for me to explain co-regulation because it comes very natural to me. And that's why I'm so grateful for your book because you mm -hmm. actually explain it. So let's move on to chapter four real quick. Uh, Linda, do you have any highlights from chapter four that you would like to share with yeah, us? Anything so, specific? Um, yeah, chapter four, I talk about um, just how the basis of all um, reciprocity, authentic connection authentic. starts with that work, <laughs> starts with co-regulation, just where we get a flow of me, you, me, you, I go, you go, I add an idea, you add an idea. Yep. Um, and, and essentially what co-regulation does is it helps us establish or know that we have established a joint focus of attention with our communication partner. Joint so focus again, of attention. Write mm -hmm. it down, people. Joint <laughs> focus of attention. That is so important. Yeah. And I know we talked about this last time, but, you know, we're always thinking about different things and there's no guarantee that you're thinking about the same thing as your communication right. partner. But if you can engage in co-regulation, find that competent, authentic, contingent role moment mm -hmm. to moment, then you know you have that shared focus of attention. And from that, things grow. Um, in this chapter, I talk about you know, how it will lead to communicative exchanges and ultimately conversation, getting to know each other. Um, but just know it doesn't start with, you don't start up here with turn-taking volley right. in, a, in a conversation. You start on the ground level with just getting that back and forth flow where we know we're thinking about the same thing at the same time. Absolutely. On page 26, my favorite. Yeah. yeah. And what, what I love about this is we're talking about meaningful conversation, meaningful language. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, we're, we're not talking about like your like some of these uh, uh, kind of outdated. I think we're kind of moving past this now in the SLP field of these outdated goals of naming opposites and eye contact right. uh, oh. and and all these language based goals that don't lead to meaningful communication. We're talking about right. what can we do? to number one, joint attention, number two, shared focus, 
Number three, meaningful communication. And that's Love the it. goal. That's what all of our SLP go mm -hmm. goals should be. So we have like the acronym of SMART goals. Like, is it meaningful? Right. So the question is, is it leading to meaningful communication? Is there ability to name opposites? Is there ability right. to uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, do these things? Is that leading to meaningful I don't use a ton of opposites. No, it's not. In, in a day. I mean, when I think about it, no. I also don't list three similarities and three differences of common nope. objects in a day. Nope. So nope. meaningful goals is not teaching to a test. It is not taking the language processing test and writing goals directly from that. There is nothing meaningful about that. And so it is, Mike, thanks for bringing that up, that this idea of functional, right, is yes. absolutely yes. critical. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about meaningful, we're talking about improving quality of life. So oh, why are we working mm -hmm. on something? Why are we adding stress? Why do we have a goal in a federally mandated IEP that's not meaningful, that's not improving mm -hmm. quality of life? Right. Yeah. And I'll go back to and just say it's and it's not about our focus of attention. It's about something that's mutually meaningful. So sometimes yes. that's mm. what I'm thinking about. Mm. But sometimes yes. it's what the child is thinking about. And there needs to be balance. And again, that's us and as, flexibility. As the adult, yeah, like letting yeah. go and knowing it's wonderful to also talk about what's important to that child in that moment or to think about what they're thinking about. Exactly. Because it's important mutually to meaningful. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mutually meaningful. I love the alliteration. That's, That's beautiful. That's yeah. Great. But Linda, mm -hmm. I, I have to say on page 26, something that I highlighted and drew a square <laughs> around in the middle of the page, you said, you don't need words to communicate for joint attention. And mm -hmm. I need everybody to listen to this, okay? Because most of the time people are hyper-focused on the child will talk, the child will use, you know, longer phrases, whatever. It's about, you know, um, spoken language. But when we start talking about co-regulation, we start talking about that that shared focus of attention it does not have to be verbal and in fact when I am working with children with social learning challenges I actually recommend that people use less spoken language I yes. find that when yes. we can focus on the nonverbals, when we yes. can establish shared attention in the moment without me saying look at that do you see it do you see look out the window let's look instead I'll just go over to the window and I might say ooh and that might be enough to draw the mm -hmm. child's attention to start visually referencing what's going on so you do not have to rely SLPs, I truly believe we have an illness and it is called verbal diarrhea. We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk, 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 because that's what we're trained to do, to narrate in the moment. But there comes a time with children with social learning challenges where my son has so eloquently stated to me, mom, you say too many words. And he has literally said that about so many people where he gets overwhelmed with all of the auditory bombardment of us stimulating language, you know, and using self-talk and parallel talk and all these strategies when actually what children sometimes need to self-regulate, to co-regulate, is they need you to be freaking mm -hmm. quiet for a little bit and allow that moment to unfold organically without you trying to force it with words. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it in declarative language, the power of the pause, the power of oh, waiting. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. when I'm doing my parent coaching with my executive functioning students, one of the most powerful things I say is use 80 to 90% less words. Oh, you know, 80 to constant, 90. I love that, that. That's really what it is. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Keep keep it Did short. Did you hear that, people? Say it. Just <laughs> use less words. But, you know, sometimes as parents, you know, it's like we have it in our heads because we have greater ability to use hindsight and foresight. And we, oh, if you just go put your plate in the sink, you'll be able to go play your game. 
but the kid would rather fight for an hour about putting the sink in when they could be playing <laughs> with putting putting the dish in the sink. So right. for us adults, it doesn't make sense. Just do right. it and move on <laughs> because we're so focused right. on instant compliance, instant compliance. But mm -hmm. the more that we allow less words, language makes dysregulation worse. So if a kid is dysregulated, Absolutely. having a hard time, language makes it worse. Stop every talking. Time. Yeah, in and out. Use fewer stop words. Stop talking. Before mm -hmm. I forget, right. I had I had this book. It was sitting next to me. And when you, Linda, this goes back to the last chapter. So I'm totally like off topic here. But you know when you were talking <laughs> about creating competent roles for mm -hmm. kids? Since I work primarily with toddlers and preschoolers, I just have to share, because I know there's a lot of parents on here, what a competent role is when reading a book. Because a lot of times what parents try to do is force this. And I'm going to read every word on the page. And I want you to sit on my lap or I want you to sit next to me on the couch, please let your kid just move around, do whatever. Because if you're reading it the right way and providing a competent role, your child will engage. So in a book like this, this is called Little Red Barn. And I love books like this because my role is to perhaps, you know, uh, read the words on the page or just make some animal sounds. But the child's role is to open the flap. So they mm -hmm. become the flap opener yep. and I become yep. the animal sound maker. And so we have this role where I'm competent, the child's competent, but I don't have to read one word on the page. And so I just want parents to kind of really think about in the moment, what is a competent role? When doing laundry, the competent role for the child might be you handing them the wet clothes out of the washer and they get to put them in the dryer. That's a competent role for your child, right? So I know that we talked about this last chapter, but I, I had this sitting here. I was like, oh, I want to use this as an example. So I just think it would be a really cool thing for you as a parent or as a therapist to think of, um, okay, let's come up with 10 competent roles for your child during daily routines. You know, getting the mail. What is your child's competent role when getting the mail, right? It might be literally just carrying the mail from the mailbox to the house, right? Or it might be um, opening the mailbox and pulling the mail out. So just I just challenge you. you. Yes, I just mm -hmm. challenge you to think about in every single routine in which your child is in your presence, instead of handing them your cell phone to keep them quiet, to keep them engaged, Think about what is a competent role that I could give my child in this moment, whether it's cooking dinner, setting the table, reading a book, getting the mail, whatever it is. I promise you there is a competent role waiting to happen. And that is our job as the adult, as the caregiver, to meet our children where they're at, to establish that trusting relationship and provide them with that competent role. So I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> That's great. And parents can, parents can really, really get creative with it. And, on, and just like we said before, in terms of use less language, when it comes to this, think small, honestly, like you can have, uh, you can have a high school yes. senior who's never packed his own lunch because you always do right. it for him. Okay, start to have him, you know, pass you the bread. That's my start son. To mm -hmm. have him, start to have him put the, put the food into the bag. You know, find something yes. small. Like it doesn't have to be, oh, he's a high school junior. He has to be able to do this, 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 because I saw or a checklist of, of, right. of age expectancies. Whatever, uh, enough. Focus on the unique individual. Find a yep. small little role just just, just to get them involved and start small. Absolutely. I could give you so many stories about my son. I won't bore everybody with it, but I'll just share one that when you say getting his lunch together, I have always put his lunch together. I put it in the bag and he just picks it up. Recently, I had him start filling his own water bottle. He expects it to be full of ice and water. And I just leave it there and say, oh, 
um, maybe you can put the water in this morning. And he's like, oh, okay. And he gets the ice and the water and he does it. And then just this week I started just, or last week I just started putting his food items on the counter and he now packs his actual lunch bag. Eventually I'll move to where he goes to the pantry nice. and pulls out each item. So again, these are, I know he's 17 and I know most people would judge me and say, he should be doing that. He should have done that a long time ago, but it's not our job to judge parents. It's not our job to judge where, where children are at in their development. It's our job to meet them where they at, where they are mm -hmm. at and give them a competent role for them individually. And that is just what I love so much about both of Linda's books is they've helped mm -hmm. me to understand that some of what I've been doing because it felt instinctual. It's just kind of how I have parented. I, it's so nice to recognize that they're actually strategies that we can coach, you know, parents and caregivers mm -hmm. on. So, um, yeah. And you, and and you, gave, you, gave your, you gave your son a competent role on your Instagram page. Oh, did I ever? And he yeah. loves it. He will say to me, he just said, um, it was yesterday we did it. He said, mom, I need to teach your people about the electric eel. He calls you all <laughs> your people. So he lets so me know. Planning ahead. And we sit, he's, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. He's already told me what the next one is going to be. Like he now is starting to think into the future, which is the most amazing thing because I have Ooh. never seen him do anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say, like, when you start giving those competent roles and the child is competent, feels competent, feels mastery, then you don't need always to um, introduce that next thing because they start to seek out that next thing. It's they start so to neat. seek out that challenge. And that's what we want ultimately is for kids to um, seek out challenge, not be Absolutely. afraid of it. Not um, be afraid of it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfectly yes. said. On yeah. page 26, Linda, you use a phrase and I circled it and put a star next to it. And I just think for parents, for SLPs, therapists, this is powerful. Practice being in sync. And I know that seems mm -hmm. really basic, but when I think of co-regulation, that's going to be my new like symmetrical term, if you will, is being yeah. in sync. When you are practicing co-regulation, you are in sync with your child. You are ebbing and flowing, meeting them where they are mm -hmm. at. So I just want you guys to leave tonight really thinking about, am I in sync with this child or am I at odds with this child? Because when you are focused on straight behavior, when you are focused on compliance, I guarantee you, you are at odds with this child. Okay. So in sync, I think is a really nice way to kind of summarize at least in my mind, how I view co-regulation. Mm -hmm. And one um, benefit of in sync, <laughs> of being in sync, I think also is that you <laughs> are at, it puts you at a great place to just understand what's going on for the child. So say for, say for example, something's tricky for them or they are stuck. When you are in sync in that moment with them, you have a great vantage point to figure out what's going on for them together Absolutely. and then problem solve. So that's another benefit it just helps us be the best teacher to them that we can be or the best guide to them that we can be in sure. that moment um yeah love it love so. it love it well these were two very powerful chapters linda i am super excited um next week we are going to find a day it cannot be monday so i will be in touch with my uh a colleagues to figure out when we yep. can do uh our recording next week but we will be reading chapters five and let me look how long six is if we can do both Chapter five, and chapters five and six. Before we what? sign off, could I just tell one story from the chapter oh, that we just talked do. about? Just please because do. I know we didn't talk too much like specifically about conversation, yes. but this is one of the stories that just has stayed with me so much over time. Um, but I was supporting two kids just to hang together. And we were doing an art project where we had a big piece of paper on the wall. 
and I let them decide what we were going to draw together. We called it a group mural, um, and they decided to draw a city. So the competent contingent roles for those kids were they, they were either the drawer where they would pick a marker and add one thing, or they were the watcher while their friend took a turn. Um, and then what just really happened over time is they started to add ideas that became contingent on each other. So one would draw a building, then the next one drew a cloud in the sky or one drew a sidewalk and then another one drew a person on the sidewalk. Oh, so because their roles were competent, I could completely fade back and just be quiet and let them, um, let this interaction between them organically develop. And it was really just it. beautiful to watch. Like it was a prototype of conversation because they were adding related ideas. But then what happened with their, with their language or their conversation um, like one of the, the little girls said, oh, this can be my grandma. And then the boy responded, what about your grandpa? And she said, oh, he died last year. And then, um, you know, and then so it just led to this really deep connection between the two of them about their family, you know, something that the girl had experienced just the loss of her grandfather. Um, but it would not have happened if I had sat around a table and said, let's talk about our family, or it wouldn't have been as organic, authentic, um, spontaneous, but it was important that I had set up those competent contingent roles peer to peer at that moment. And then I could fade back and just let it develop for them. So that's just what it might look like when you create it, create competent contingent roles among kids and let I love it let the interactions unfold from there. And, so and thanks honestly, for letting me share. <laughs> isn't that though, you guys, how conversation unfolds for us? It's quite tangential. I know that mm -hmm. when we try to do this kind of social skills therapy, we're like, oh, student will remain on task, you know, or will, you know, remain on topic for three turns. I'm sorry, you and I do not count. Like, oh, did I make three comments about Linda's statement? Should I make one more? It's very tangential because we feed off of it and we move in a direction that is organic that, you know, so talking mm -hmm. about your grandma or your grandpa or your sibling, if I were to ask you or to say, tell me three things about your sister, you might be like, oh, well, she has brown hair and blue eyes and she lives in wherever but if we allow it to unfold organically through conversation like you're talking about you're going to get a lot more um, authentic information so yeah. i think it is okay to be tolerant of tangential conversation because that's what we do as adults that mm -hmm. is exactly how conversation unfolds i can't predict what you're going to say. And that's what makes even doing this podcast with three people. Mike and I are used to doing two people. <laughs> so you do hear us talk over each other because we're like, oh crap, whose turn is it? Should I raise my hand? You know, but it's, it's organic. It's natural. It's, 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 it's what conversation is like. And so I just appreciate both of you so much. And I've missed <laughs> you. I have missed doing chapter chat. Yeah, I never realized how much I love this until we're like in the moment. And I'm like, oh, this is just my favorite thing. So thank you guys mm -hmm. for being here. It was yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it is great. All right. It was so, so, so nice to be back. It mm -hmm. is. So um, I will be posting on my Instagram page what night we're going to do next week. I'm hoping that uh, my co-host will have some flexibility because I definitely <laughs> I will be in the car driving on Monday night. So that will not be an option. So stay tuned. These are saved on my Instagram page, Carrie Ebert Seminars. But also, Mike, tell us where people can find them as a podcast. Yep. So on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, just type in Education Chapter Chat. You'll see our pictures. You'll see our faces. Uh, and ev every single recording is right on there.
except chapter three and chapter four of the declarative language handbook because we had a technical snafu. It did not get recorded. I've had three people today message me specifically about those chapters <laughs> and I feel so bad. Yeah. You have to read those yeah. yourself because that recording <laughs> yeah. just didn't make it into the archive. So anyways, you guys are the best. Thank you all for joining us. Um, be well and we will see you next week sometime. Bye guys. Bye, Bye. everybody. Good night.